If you're the only one in your book club who wants to read books that will change your life, you need a new book club. And we think you found it. I'm Heather. And I'm Susan. And can we be the first to say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. And welcome to episode two of the Bible Book Club. Last week, we did just two verses, and we are going to start moving you a lot quicker through this book. So you think. (laughs) No, we really will move you quicker through the book because there is so much good stuff in this book. But today we even have something extra for you. It is an audio recording of something really cool. And a fun fact, this recording, if you watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, no way. Is also in that okay, show. Okay, so I didn't I didn't know that and I picked this recording. So how are we going to tie together NASA creation and Mrs. Maisel? I don't know, because if you've ever watched the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, it is very unbiblical. Yeah. <laughs> uh, aside but from I the fact her. that they're all Jews. I love her and I so love her I. outfits. But what episode was that? I don't even remember. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at what exact episode it was. But there's one when the kids are watching TV and it's actually oh, happening on the it's TV. on the TV. Okay, yes. so now we got to get to it because people really don't know what we're talking about. They're going to love it. So it's the overview. Last week we did. And hopefully it helped you get organized in your head about the book of Genesis and how you can read it to understand the greater meaning in the Bible. The big Bible bender for me last week was the fact that God and Jesus were both there in the beginning. And we found that out through the book of John and the words about God speaking into creation existence. That is why in everything that God created, he said, and it was. Yeah. And and that's probably, I think that was our first example of how the New Testament and the Old Testament tie together, but we're going to have so many more. So this week, episode two, is the story of how God created the world. And I really wrestled, I really did, with how to give this story because it's a story everyone's heard. And so you don't just want to gloss over it like it was nothing, but it is old story. We we all know this. The world and the way it was created is just so familiar. How can we tell the story so that people see it differently? How can we tell the story so that people can get inside and look at it like God did. And how can we even imagine how God felt when he created and saw that it was good? Lastly, how can we comprehend something so scientifically complicated with wonder instead of getting bogged down in doubt? So for a new perspective, I'm going to insert another story into our story. Lest you think we're going to go down a black hole, we will read this entire chapter, I promise, today. But this is the story of three scientists. These are brilliant men at the top of their field. In fact, so exceptional were they that they were chosen to help win a $25 billion race to the moon. This is the story of the men of Apollo 8. First, let me give paint a little picture of who these men were. First, we have Anders, who was considered the world's best fighter pilot. He was a nuclear engineer. He was the rookie astronaut on the mission, and it was his job to photograph the moon. Not very complex sounding, but I guess it was. But it's a big job. It's a big job. Then there is Lovell. So Lovell was a naval aviator, mechanical engineer, and experienced NASA astronaut. 
he had flown with Borman, our third member, on Gemini 7. Borman was a United States Air Force colonel, an aeronautical engineer, and NASA astronaut. He was the command pilot for Gemini 7 mission, and he was command for the Apollo 8. So basically a bunch of really smart men. Really smart, top of their game. I mean, these guys had been in the running to be on this mission. And so, you know, tough field. They were there. All of them were engineers. And if you don't know anything about engineers, they're kind of known uh, for being curious, critical thinkers. So I want you to think about that. These are not, you know, la la people. These are people who really think hard about stuff and they want to figure stuff out. Well, and furthermore, sometimes science and the story of creation don't exactly align. That's why I'm pointing this out. Usually they don't, they collide. So I have a couple engineers in my family and um, one of them, actually my daughter and son-in-law are both nuclear engineers. So I definitely have a little experience with how these kind of people think. And and they want to take everything apart. If something is broken, it doesn't matter how complex it is in my house. And my son-in-law was just staying with us for a week. He had a class down here. They literally think nothing of in the middle of the day saying, well, let me have a look at it. And you will have parts all over until they figure it out. And they can. And that's fine as long as they eventually put it back back together. Unlike my son, who is only 15, but rarely ever puts it back together. Hey, maybe he's going to be an engineer. He's learning. So I think this is what makes this story all the more interesting. So at the time of our story, the U.S. is in a space race with Russia to land a man on the moon. In October of 68, the Apollo 7 was our first mission with a crew to even orbit the Earth. But no one had broken through the Earth's atmosphere at this point. And and the question was, could the Apollo 8, our next mission, be the first to do that, to break through the atmosphere and orbit the moon? And look at the dark side. You know, nobody had been around to the other side of the moon. We only see one side. Well, because of the space race, the mission was rushed ahead of schedule, like way ahead of schedule. Uh because Apollo 7 had been in October and they want Apollo 8 now to take off December 21st. And that's exactly what happens just two months later. Weren't we also kind of in a race with Russia? To oh, get no, there? that's who the race was with. Yeah. It was with Russia. And Kennedy was president at the time and he was not going to be beat. And so I, I do feel like as these astronauts' wives, I would have been a little bit tense about this. Like, okay, this mission wasn't supposed to take till months later. And now all of a sudden you're going up. I don't think so. But at that point, you're chosen. And I'm sure there was no talking these guys out of it. But it was aggressive and it was dangerous. But they did it. They broke through the atmosphere and began orbiting the moon. Their only task once up there was to pictorially map out the surface of the moon, especially that dark side I mentioned, so that the next Apollo mission, which was also going to be rushed, could find a place to land. So they're kind of like... Paving the way, foreshadowing. Think of Google Earth, but this is Google Moon. They're just taking pictures of everything. Sort of like how the Old Testament is foreshadowing for Jesus. They're foreshadowing for the next people. Nice, nice. I like that, Heather. I'll bring the marvelous Mrs. Maisel in here somehow. Okay, somehow. Yeah, I know it's coming. Well, uh, so they took off, you know, December 21st, and now it's the morning of December 24th. Borman, Anders, and Lovell are circling the moon. Anders is busy taking pictures of the moon and in his own words has described it as gray, 
These are quotes. And again, we're going to give you a link to an audio. You can really hear these guys' voices. But Anders describes the moon as gray and lifeless, like plaster floating in a dark sea of black emptiness. Apparently, that is why they were using black and white film. There was really no point using color. But Borman decides to make a little unplanned turn to the ship to get a new angle of the moon from their tiny windows. I guess he found a piece of the moon they hadn't covered and he decided to like, just make a little shift. Well, the slight shift tilts the ship so that instead of looking straight down, they could now see out over the moon's horizon. Kind of just like if you're standing on the beach and you can see the horizon in the future. So they're seeing the horizon of blackness. There's, this is not the beach. As they floated toward the horizon of just blackness over the gray moon, a sliver of light appeared and it grew. And suddenly, for the first time ever in human history, these three men saw the earth rising over the horizon. Within minutes, the whole earth, a glowing globe of color, was suspended in the ominous infinite black right in front of them. And Susan, weren't they there to see the moon? It was like an accident, oh, no, basically. Yeah. No, they had never planned to take pictures of Earth. They had It was not on their schedule. And trust me, these men get a schedule that is like to the detail yeah. of everything they have to, how much they can eat, what, you know, what they move. It's, it was, there was no one who ever thought, oh, you're going to get to see the Earth. So everyone at NASA had been so focused on the moon, they didn't even consider it. The three astronauts scramble. And again, you've got to hear their voices. I'm getting chills thinking of the recording for a roll of color, almost kind of like you can tell they have to conserve energy, but they're like, where's the film? Get the film. And, and uh, Anders is telling him where the goal, he wants colored film, like hand it to me quick, quick. It's in the box, blah, blah, blah. So they scramble for the color film and they take that iconic picture that made the cover of Time magazine called Earthrise. It's all over the internet, but we will have a link. It is the first picture. All of them were deeply affected by this awesome sight of creation that we just take for granted because we've seen pictures of the earth. And listening to the recording of them, you can just hear the wonder and excitement in their voices like, wow, wow, you know, it, it was so colorful. It was so beautiful. And remember, they'd already been up there for three days, just floating in black and gray. Needless to say, they were dumbstruck and awe-inspired. And we know that because of what happened next. So later that same day, NASA had a message for the crew. There was to be a broadcast from Apollo 8. And in Borman's word, he said, we were told that on Christmas Eve, we would have the largest audience that had ever listened to a human voice, an estimated billion people. And the only instructions that we got from NASA was to do something appropriate. Because you would know what that would be in that moment when you saw the earth, the first person to see the earth. Yeah. Again, they would have been given a soundbite and they could have, they would have been told, you can only say this, period. And in this case, they said, do something appropriate. Borman, Lovell, and Anders made a unanimous decision about their message. They began the telecast in the ninth rotation around the moon with a description of their experience and concluded the TV broadcast with prophetic words. There was just one picture in their minds 
as they spoke, and it was not of the moon. It was about something that even as brilliant engineers, they would never be able to figure out. It was about the creation of the world. Listen. We are now approaching uh, lunar sunrise, and uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the Earth, and the Earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament. And divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. What in the world? How could these scientists come up with the most appropriate thing that they could ever have figured out oh. to describe the Earth? Totally. Wars. Or, or to broadcast to billions of people. Check this out. Last week, we learned that God said, remember God said nine times, he spoke the word and the world was created. Apollo 8 was on its ninth rotation around the moon when they spoke God's word of creation to the world. She does this thing with numbers. Check this out. It was Christmas Eve, the night before the word Jesus was born. The whole listening world would be thinking about Jesus's birth. Jesus, who was there in the beginning when God created the world. Oh, and they providentially packed a Bible on the tiny ship. You could hear them passing it around to read. This message, even though they didn't know they were going to give a message because they didn't find out they were going to be addressing the world until they were already on the ship. At least one of them was a Christian then because you wouldn't have taken up that space in that capsule. It was so tiny, that tiny capsule. Yeah. And these scientific men said they unanimously agreed on their message because how else do you explain something so incomprehensible except with God? Well, December, 2018, marked the 50th anniversary of Apollo 8. And in a NASA special, Lovell closed with this thought. This is 50 years later. They've had 50 years to try to take the earth apart and put it back together in a way that could have been other than God. And still 50 years later, this is what Lovell said. The earth is a mere speck in the Milky Way galaxy. But look what we have here. Water 
and an atmosphere, we're orbiting a star at just the proper distance to absorb that star's star's energy. God has given mankind a stage upon which to perform. How the play turns out is up to us. After 50 years, 50, still these brilliant scientists see the world as God's creation. I want to see the world like them. Without question, without explanation, with wonder and with excitement. Well, I think God providentially chose these men the day and this very view of the Apollo 8 mission just for us so that they could help us believe through these scientists. Totally. Totally. It was Christmas Eve. It, the, the mission was rushed ahead. It were, it, there were too many, too many coincidences for, for it them to be, to be coincidence. I I think God wanted the first human image of his precious creation to mean something to us because it means so much to him. He gave the picture to us on Christmas Eve. It was like a gift. This is how I see the world. Have you ever been in the middle of the mountains where there's huge expanse before you or in the middle of the sea where there's a huge open line in front of you and had that experience of oh. just wonder and amazement. Yes. To think of this times Imagine. a billion. Yeah. You're, you're in space looking at the world. I'm so jealous of that. I think, you know, he inspired the men who captured this picture to give God and his word, Jesus, the credit by yeah. bringing the word of God to billions of people on earth. Just awesome. Well, we've linked the image of the Earthrise and all the NASA recordings of Borman, Lovell, and Anders in our show notes. So be sure and go there and do some extra listening because you will enjoy it. And as you think about creation, we're going to read it right now. We're going to continue on through this chapter. Think of that. Don't picture it like like you always have. Picture it anew like perhaps they did. So carry on. We got to read the rest of, we're going to pick up where they left off in verse 11. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit and seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening. And there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. 
God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay, so let's just analyze this section just a little bit. We don't have to go too deep because we've already covered some things, and we're going to cover some things next week. But basically, who is the star in this? Who created the world? God. And that word, that key word, God, is said 32 times. It's all about him. God said, God made, God saw, God called, God finished, God blessed. Every creative scene is separated by a pattern. It's the words God said, and then there was evening and there was morning. The point to this is that God had a plan. Nobody else was involved. No, this is what he set out to do and he did it and he, it was good. Well, I just want to point one thing out. There was somebody else involved. And this kind of goes with my Bible bender from last oh, week. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Because if you look <laughs> at verse 26, mm-hmm. it said, Then God said, Let us make yes, mankind yes. in our image. Yes. He didn't say I or my. And so I think that the star was both God and Jesus. God and Jesus. Good point. Very good point. So God had a plan, but what did he create? He created a world of beauty, rhythm, and order. This was not a random task. This was not like an artist painting a painting and being inspired and just go, oh, I'm going to whip it up. No, there is, a, there is a rhythm here. In the first three days, God formed the world. And then in the next three days, he filled the world. So for example, on day one, God created day and night. And on day four, God filled it with the sun, moon, and stars. On day two, God created the sky and the sea. And on day five, God filled it with the birds and sea creatures. On day three, God created land and vegetation. And on day six, God filled it with living creatures. God had a pattern. Well, that's a a Bible bender if I've ever Yeah, God had a plan, a pattern. And next week, we're going to discuss the purpose for creation. Again, listen to the NASA recordings. They are in the show notes and a picture and check it out. If you got lost last week and everything we talked about, we've got printables for that. So take a look. Hey, and watch Marvelous Mrs. Maisel oh, and gosh, you can see yeah. it there too. See, I got it. Oh, that's true. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, welcome, welcome to, to the, the club. club. 
New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.